Welcome to the Best Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Wooten. I've been an English language and literature teacher for 10 years. And in my experience, the best resource we have as teachers is each other. The Best Teacher Podcast interviews everyday teachers from around the globe doing amazing, innovative things in their classroom. In every episode, you'll meet incredible educators, hear their best stories, gain practical wisdom and useful resources you'll love, and strategies that can transform your students' learning experience. I hope you enjoy the show. In this episode, I speak with the amazing Stephen Guerrero. Stephen Guerrero is a 20-year social studies teacher in the Boston area. We speak about many different things, including how important it is to bring your own personality and humor into the classroom, and an amazing story that illustrates the power that one teacher can have on a student's life, and how cool it is for teachers like us to interact with our students as they go on to be the amazing adults that they're growing into. If you enjoy this episode half as much as I enjoyed our conversation, you'll be getting a ton of value out of it. Here's episode two with Stephen Guerrero. Hey, Stephen, welcome to the Best Teacher Podcast. Stephen, so you're in, you're in Boston. You are a teacher who's taught there, I believe, for over two decades. Yeah, until recently. I uh, It's uh, not directly in the city of Boston, but I taught uh, at a suburb about uh, 10 minutes from the Boston line. Okay. Well, Stephen, go ahead and tell us a, a little bit about yourself. You know, this is this one's all about you, and um, I know you've got an awesome story and have had an amazing career. So I'm going to give you the spotlight. Just tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, who you are, how you came into teaching, and um, where you're at. Where you're at now. How come you stuck with it for so long? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. And um, so I, the way I got into teaching was kind of sideways. I never imagined that I would be in teaching. Uh, so I went to BU, Boston University, over here. And uh, when I graduated, it was uh, 2001, and um, the summer after college, like many people, I think, I was uh, moved back in with my parents and uh, I had studied international relations. So I was in the process of taking the multi-step foreign service exam. So you take a written and then you do like an interview and then they call you to DC um, and you go through some like practice activities. But in that process, as the summer wound down, uh, <laughs> my mom was like, you need to do something like you have to find something. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, his mom was a special ed liaison. And she said, you know, you just graduated. I work at this elementary school, like 10 minutes from your house. Um, why don't you come be an assistant, a special education assistant? Uh, yeah. And and you can take it from there. So, uh, you know, and then the idea was like after that, you can get a air quotes real job, um, you know, after that. And so. I did one year uh, as in a, a special ed aide in uh, grades three through five. And mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is pretty, this is pretty amazing. I, this is a lot of fun. The kids are hilarious. Like you get to actually make a difference and, right. and teach them some cool stuff. And yeah. so the following year, a teacher went on maternity leave and I, I decided, what the hell, I'll see if I can teach fourth grade. And uh, I did. And, and that morphed into going to a different district and eventually winding up in sixth grade teaching social studies, which is uh, ancient history and civics and geography. And almost uh, 15, 20 years doing that job. Uh, in the same school. district at the same school? Mostly in the same district. So uh, those first two years right out of college was with one district right outside Boston. And uh, then I moved to a different district um, for two years in third grade and then about uh, 17 years or 15 years, something like that in uh, sixth grade. So yeah, 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 mostly in the same district for sure. And then throughout, throughout your, you know, 20 years, 
-hmm. was there ever a moment when you were like uh man i i don't i don't know if i if i chose the the right job here or or has it been smooth sailing the entire way you know when i first got into it I loved it. And I didn't go to school for education at all. So I yeah, was going in fully blind. Um, and I uh, just loved every day. I loved it. Like if a kid was having a rough day, like you could start all over again tomorrow and right. you know, things could be different. Yeah. And um, for the first, I would say like 10 to 12 years of the career, everything just felt like uh, so new. And I, I was learning as much as the kids were learning um, about the job and about what I was teaching. Um, for a period of like five years at the beginning, I had like first, I mean, uh, four first days of school, like, you know, teaching fourth grade and then third grade mm -hmm. and a new district yeah. and then sixth yeah. grade. And so it kept it fresh, uh, at least for the first like, you know, 12, 12 or so years. And uh, it was a blast. It it just felt like it didn't feel like work at the time. Yeah. 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 Well, but, and then something changed after that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I've been thinking about this a lot, obviously, because, you know, I, I just left the job. So right. that wasn't a snap decision. That was something I was sitting on for a long time. And so when I look back, I think things are more clear to me than they were at the time. But I think it was a combination of factors and they can kind of be boiled down to like the job changed slowly, but steadily under me. And I changed uh, yeah. from the person I was when I first entered the job. So, you know, I began working as like a 22 year old in an elementary school and um, you know, I was single and, and had endless energy and, and uh, very little commitments outside of my work. And so it was easy, like a lot of teachers fall into, um, to make my role, my life, like, you right. know, I would be after school late, I would work on Saturdays, uh, you know, attend all the things, volunteer for all the committees. And yeah. um, that was, that was strong and steady for a while. And then, you know, there's this thing that happens where when you stop keeping it kind of fresh, not in terms of like what the kids are learning, but for yourself, like yeah. when you're doing your, you know, 15th back to school night or your 17th great Greek day in the unit, like as fun as it is, there's a seeping sameness that kind of comes in. And I think, right. um, yeah. you know, I, I went to London, fell in love with my husband, like got married, you know, he opened a business and like, um, you know, my commitment, my parents getting a little bit older. So, um, yeah, I was just in a different place in life and also the job, uh, as it was feeling a little bit of sameness, it also just kind of, uh, I don't know, it just didn't fill me up in the same way, you know, like it, it right. the kids were more kind of school wasn't at the center of their quest for, you know, meaning and learning in their life. It was one of many, many different parts, uh, including technology. And so, um, you didn't feel like you were making as much of a difference as maybe it was when I first began in the classroom. And so, yeah, for all those factors, they kind of just yeah. became like a, like a steady stream that, that just became insurmountable after a while. Well, I, I know for a fact that a bunch of people listening are going to relate to that on a, on a deep level. So I appreciate you, you sharing all that. Um, and I, I wish we had more time to just dig in. We'll, have, we'll maybe have to do a follow-up where we just talk about all those different factors you mentioned because they're each one of them. I feel like could be its own, could be its own podcast where we dig in into, into the background of what's <laughs> going on there. But thank you so much for for sharing. Uh, 
again, just, just so happy to, to have you here. Um, you know, I, I call this the best teacher podcast and I'm going to be interviewing, you know, the best teachers around the world. But the truth is like, I, I don't feel like there's a single teacher out there um, who is dedicated to their job that I couldn't have just an awesome time learning from on the show. Um, and, and so it's kind of a misnomer in the sense that I don't really believe that there, there are, you know, best teachers. I think there are teachers that that really love their job and do a great job of it because of that. They care about their students. They put them first and, um, you know, and that's where they get their energy from. And then there are teachers that aren't that, you know, that don't do that. But but those guys usually don't stick around, <laughs> you know, especially <laughs> especially when you've been in the job like for so long. I think if you make it past like the five, seven year mark, for the most part, you know, those are some special souls, you know, so I'm just excited to talk to you and, and yep. other people like you and, and learn more about your story. So thank you, man. Well, yeah. hey, uh, speaking of stories, let's go ahead and move into the, the next part of the podcast. I think this is going to end up being most people's favorite part, um, simply because <laughs> we're wired for story uh, yep. as, as human beings. But go ahead and share uh, what you think is your, your, your favorite or your best story from your time as a teacher. Um, and feel free to make it a combination of moments, uh, whatever you need. Uh, but I'm just, I want to hear, you know, when you think of your teaching career, what, what's, what's a story, what's a moment that stands out to you? It's definitely looking back across a lot of stories, but I will say right. yeah. one of my most favorite parts of the job um, has happened to me a couple of times, which is, um, you know, I teach sixth grade. So when I have the kids, they're like 11 or 12 years old. And in my district, unusually, um, for most of my career, I've been in the sixth grade building. So like we have our sixth grade in its own separate school due to some, uh, overcrowding issues at the seven okay. through the six or eight middle school. And so yeah. I have them for like nine months and then they kind of go off to the next, you know, level of middle school. And so when I hear back from the kids and even if they're like, 20 or like 25, I still refer to them as the kids. And right, uh, yeah. when they, when they come back and they tell me, you know, like uh, something they remember from my sixth grade class, or especially, you know, I think of a student who um, she was a great student. She went away to college. She came back and she told me, uh, you know, Mr. Guerrero, because of you, I was so interested in scuba archaeology because yeah, I'm actually, aside from teaching, like I also practice archaeology. So I've been on digs in oh, Greece wow. and Italy. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And ancient history is my thing even outside of uh, teaching it. And right. so I would always geek out about that with the kids and show them pictures from my digs. And she and we actually did a practice, you know, kind of dig out back of the school and that kind of thing. And she was like, you know, it was so it stuck with me so much that when I was in college, she went down to uh, school in Bermuda and she actually participated on scuba archaeological digs, um, <laughs> diving on shipwrecks off the coast of Bermuda. And uh, one of the, my best most favorite things was that I was then able to get a grant from our PTC and bring her in as a guest speaker to my current sixth graders. Oh, so wow. here's this yeah. person that I had in sixth grade. And now she's talking to my now sixth graders about scuba archaeology and what she learned from Mr. Guerrero that kind of propelled her on this path. And um, she was really interested in the education field just generally. And so yeah. that is so meaningful to me because and I, I know a lot of my middle school people will will know this too. Like middle school is such a unique time mm -hmm. that we, you know, yeah. it's it, there's an intensity to it. You know, like my people that teach, you know, elementary and and high school, 
you know, they also have a certain kind of thing to deal with that's sure, unique. Yeah. But for middle school, I would say there's something so intense about it in the moment. And then when they move on, it doesn't always come back to you like right. the seeds that you planted. And yeah. I think this was one of those moments where I really, really got to see that seed, um, you know, grow and, and right before me, like come to fruition. It, it was really an amazing, special moment for me to see her presenting yeah. to my class. I Yeah, I cannot. <laughs> I'm like, what is the equivalent for an English teacher? What the heck could I inspire my students to do that's as cool as scuba archaeology? I, I don't. <laughs> I think you've got us beat, man. Um, but I also, you know, I, I also I'm so horrible about talking about myself, but I, I also teach middle school right now. Like my main teaching assignment is teaching mm. uh, seventh grade. Uh, English language arts and so yeah I know what you mean when it comes to that that intensity and and you're also at this really unique moment where um, they are being formed in, in the, yeah. some of the most formative years of their life as they figure out you know who, who they are and who they want to be um, yeah. in a way that that of course you do that your whole life but but in a way that's very unique you know that they're realizing that they are um, a free agent that they're that they're independent that they have their own thoughts um, that they can have their their own thoughts and that they are actually responsible for some of the decisions that they're making and and it's you know and then each one is each kid in the class is at like a different stage of that too and yep. and to watch who they are at the beginning of the year versus who they are at the end of the year sometimes it's just it's drastically different and we get to be a part of that so so yeah and, but I don't I don't think anybody can top inspiring someone to be a scuba archaeologist uh, <laughs> and dive on shipwrecks man that's awesome that is and so ironically i don't do scuba so like that's yeah. one of the reasons i i am like guys i just do dirt archaeology but you know <laughs> here you know is my former student who's taking it one step further and you know she she had pictures and video it was so cool yeah man i would i would be uh, did you get a recording of that? Like, do you have a, a I have pictures, but we didn't yeah. record like video record or anything uh, like that. But hey, yeah. I'm, I'm just so glad. Like the other thing that I really like about that story is like all of our stories that that we keep coming back to. Um, I can imagine that 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 one thing was enough to inspire you for you know in perpetuity, right? Just just sure, yeah, absolutely. Going. Yeah, something you could keep yeah. coming back to for energy and encouragement. And, you know, so that's so cool. Are you still in contact with her today? I am. Yeah. Uh, I think we're connected on either LinkedIn or Facebook or one of those. And, sure. and, uh, I believe she actually is now teaching at a nearby elementary school. I think she's teaching oh, wow. fifth grade, something like, yeah, yeah. Which is, is even so cool. more cool. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get her on the show and it'll come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wild. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, man, thank you so much for sharing. Um, sure. let, let's, I hate to move on from stories because I love them so much, but we could talk all day. <laughs> the next uh, section of the podcast that that uh, I think is going to be really valuable for, for teachers is your best tip. So this is just a mm. kind of a general tip. It doesn't have to be a strategy or anything like that. Just whatever it is that has helped you, um, you feel like the most as a teacher to kind of keep keep your head in the right place, be the best teacher that you could be. Um, and, and I'm just leaving it really open-ended. If you had to give teachers like one tip in general, what, what would you do? Yeah. So again, coming from, you know, long time teaching middle school, yeah, you have to have a good sense of humor. Mm. You cannot mm. take yourself too seriously and you have to inject your classroom practice with a good degree of your personality. So when I started, 
you know, I always used to joke um, about the lounge lizards, the teachers who are like, you know, <laughs> they would talk about the retirement chart like they were serving penance and uh, or waiting in purgatory or, you know, and uh, nine more years left, eight more years left. And mm, they would hang yeah. out in the teacher's lounge and complain. And, and uh, one of them was like, you know, don't let them smile till November. I mean, don't let them see you smile till November or uh you know, you always have a wall like, you know, between you and them because don't tell them about your personal life or anything like that. And of course, like you want to be appropriate. But I would say a teacher's superpower, especially at middle school, is your sense of humor. If right. if the kids think that you take yourself so seriously, they're going to feel like the stakes in your classroom is not worth it to take a risk. They're going to get yeah. laughed at or get something wrong or, you know, if you can't talk to them like people, then you're not going to get through to them and teach them what you want to teach them. So, right. you know, yeah. it's, it's really important to kind of crack through that and, you know, make a couple jokes or, you know, um, make sure you, I don't know, share like a little bit about what you do, what you're into your hobbies or, um, your, you know, if you I, like, uh, a few years ago, my dad and I had Bruins season tickets of, you know, local hockey team is the Boston Bruins and they won the Stanley cup back in 2010. Wow. And, um, my dad and I had season tickets and I would come back from the games and tell the kids like how exciting it was, like what happened. Also like how special it was to share that with my dad. And the kids really, really were hanging on that. Not yeah. so much cause like, you know, I was being an amazing storyteller or whatever, but like they want to see you as a person. You spend yeah. so much time with the kids. Yeah. They don't want to feel like they're in a room with a robot. They want to feel like you can learn and teach, but also you can laugh and, and yeah. joke and, you know, yeah. make mistakes and move on. And I think too many teachers don't know quite the importance of doing that explicitly. Sometimes mm. it's something you think yeah. about after the fact or, oh, that was funny when that happened. Um, but the power of humor and putting yourself out there for the kids has to be explicitly done and is something that will transform your practice. Yeah, I love that tip so much. I I probably err on the side of, the side of too much humor and personality in, <laughs> in my classroom, but it breaks down, like you said, so many barriers. And and the teacher-student relationship is is just that. It's it's a relationship. You know, it's an interpersonal mm -hmm. dynamic between two unique, individual, actual people, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think we need to treat it that way, right? Because I know it's like, it's so cliche, but I, I saw it again the other day on, on LinkedIn. You know, people remember how you made them feel. They don't necessarily remember yeah. the things that you, that you told them, um, but they remember the experience of, of care that you give them and mm -hmm. they want to know you, especially in middle school, right. They're looking for so much affirmation. Um, but I think across the board, um, but you don't want to be affirmed by, by a nameless faceless robot. You can't be affirmed yeah. by, by someone who's just a role, right. Mm -hmm. You aren't affirmed by you're affirmed by a person, right. Um, yeah. It feels valuable. It doesn't feel valuable to me. Like if, 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 if an app says I'm great, you know, it's like, uh, well, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, whatever you were programmed that way. But when I when I know that this this person that I value that I enjoy spending time with sees value in me, I mean, there's just nothing more powerful than that. I think in the human experience. So um, I love that, Stephen. And, and yeah, I would also add, like, um, like you touch, and it's funny that you mentioned that quote because when I have my back to school night and I have all my students' parents in the room, 
I always say to them exactly that. Like, I know they're not going to remember like every battle the Romans fought or, you know, the dates that are important for, you know, Egyptian old kingdom history, but they're going to make sure they, I'm going to make sure I realize how I make them feel about learning ancient history. Mm. And I think uh, that was a central tenet. And I, I will also add specifically about injecting your personality and your humor. I had a, a good friend of mine next door who taught science. I taught social studies and he <laughs> and I were good friends, even outside of class. And, you know, no matter what was going on in the classroom, if I was in the middle of a lesson, he was in the middle of a lesson. Uh, he would like pop open the door if he thought of something that was funny or whatever and wanted to yeah. tell me something or a kid really rocked something, you know, a lesson or a presentation. He would want to come in and show, tell me about it because you're modeling for the kids how to be a person, how to be a yeah. social yeah. person, yeah. how there's give and take in a friendship, how you read each other's kind of nonverbal cues, how, yeah. you know, you can kind of joke with each other, but in a respectful way, like the kids are watching you as the teacher all right. the time, even when you don't realize it. And I think yeah. you're modeling for them things that are far outside of just how to study for a test. They're yes. looking at you yeah. as in like, how do you manage, you know, if somebody's annoying you or making you angry? How do you yeah. manage if somebody makes you laugh and you lose your flow? Like, uh, I think those are so important, but I don't think they get enough kind of explicit conversation and attention. You know, I think you hit on it when you said they're, they're not going to remember a lot of what we, we teach them. Now, obviously, we hope that they do remember at least the general points from our classes. But but even mm-hmm. if they don't, you know, th- we have to ask ourselves, what's what's the point if they don't remember any of this stuff? Um, if they don't even remember who we are, it's it's that formation that you're talking about, the formation of character, the formation of, of personality, that formation of a person and the way that they are going to interact with other people in the world. I mean, that ultimately mm-hmm. is what education is, you know, it, it's it's the formation of, a, of an individual. I think no matter how much we love our subjects, and we do, <laughs> oftentimes, it doesn't matter near as much as as what they learn about being human, you know? Right, um, exactly. And, and that... And that's, you know, that's why it's so important that they see that we are, are human, you know, and, and it's the other thing, like, like, we want to see them see us enjoying our job is, is the other thing, like, we don't want to model, like, work sucks, and your life is going to suck, because <laughs> most of it is, is going to be work. So I want to show them that, yeah, you can work really, really hard and be really dedicated to your job, and even not like many aspects of your job. Like, I'll even talk to my students about things that I that I don't like in the, no, I won't talk about other people or, or even the admin right. or anything like that, but there, there are tasks in teaching that I don't enjoy. And yet still, overall, be very content, be very happy with with your life, with your work. I think we need to, to model that for our students so that they feel like they have permission to enjoy their own lives and yeah yeah uh, and that they are good to each other and they don't feel like you can only be with your clique of friends and then everybody else is just kind of extras in in your show um you can reach out to people that you might not think you have a lot in common and people have more to offer than you might think on the surface yeah for sure for sure Oh man, we could we could go all day on each of these things, but we'll <laughs> we'll, move, we'll move we'll move to the next we'll move to the next uh, the thing. So we've gone through your story, uh, yep. your favorite story. We've got we've got a tip here, um, which which I love, and now uh, we're going to talk about two more like a little bit more practical things um, mm-hmm. that that teachers maybe could put to use like tomorrow. And the first of those is uh, your best teacher tool. So this is uh, something digital or even physical that you put to use um, in your teaching. Uh, regularly and and basically you're like man I would not teach 
without using this uh, ever mm. again once I discovered it. Uh, what's something like that, that you can recommend for our listeners? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to cheat and give you two, but they're related. Sure. I would say yeah. I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I'm a podcast junkie. Like I, my phone is loaded up. My only problem is like I run out of podcasts to listen to. And I always tell that to the kids and I love sharing podcasts with them. Mm. And mm. whether it's a clip of something or like, you know, an episode of Emperors of Rome that I feel like they would really enjoy. I'm really a big fan of the audio processing practice that podcasts make kids go through. Um, so I'm a big fan of a company like ListenWise that use um, audio content to teach auditory processing. And I'll also say just as a, a great tool, we use Google Classroom, like almost everybody. And mm -hmm. there's a Chrome extension called Moat, M-O-T-E. And it's basically uh, recorded messages. And it works right inside of Google Classroom. So instead of typing out and creating comments and, and writing something for each kid or having the comment bank, I can just click the moat. It records my voice. I can give feedback on an assignment. And the beauty of it is not just that it's easier for me to just record uh, an audio message rather than type it all out. But the kids can hear the tone in my voice. They can mm -hmm. understand mm -hmm. the subtleties that you don't always pick up from a text comment. And I right. think there's something really powerful to that also for them to hear and use that as a guide for their own way of giving feedback, whether it's peer feedback or that kind of thing. That's really changed and uh, the way I grade and also saving me tons and tons of time is uh, using that extension to... Uh, give kids audio feedback. I personally use Moat. I'm familiar with the the tool. It's such a great resource, such a great way. It's just personal, right? Um, I mm -hmm. mean, I, we've all experienced it before where we've read a text in the wrong tone of voice and just like, it, it's bothered us all day. And I think yep. these kids that are seeking affirmation so strongly um, from us, uh, you know, when we, when we leave constructive feedback, even if we don't mean it in a degrading way, you know, if they're having a bad day, they're going to read that like, like we, and they're going to, their minds are going to take it and, and blow it up into, you know, feelings of worthlessness or despair. Mm -hmm. you know, and, they, and, and so when you, you're right, you know, when you can put that tone of voice in there and they can hear that you're not upset, that you're not angry, that you, you're trying to help. And it's the same voice you use in the classroom. You know, you're not one person in the classroom and another person out. I think that continuity is, is going to be so good for them. And then yeah. podcasts, I, mean, I, I haven't used podcasts with my students uh, or a lot of audio stuff in my class other than the occasional audio book, you know, when, when we were listening to a recording of something, giving them access to that so that they can go back and, and listen again. But I've never really thought of like assigning a, a podcast episode or anything like that. Have you used it in that way where you like make it an explicit assignment? Yeah, I have actually. And um, so especially during uh, you know, COVID when we all had to go home in the spring right. of 2020 and we weren't sure yeah. we would be back. I have used podcasts specifically that I like and I was clipping them on my laptop, but also, like I said, ListenWise has like a whole audio library. And I think- Yeah, is that uh, like um, listenwise.com? Is that how we, we can just- I think they are listenwise.com now. Yeah, they're okay. part of the Boat Clips companies, but um, if you just Google ListenWise, it's the only- yeah. And then on LinkedIn, they have a- pretty substantial page. And they also have free trials. The I would say what I loved so much about assigning them, and sometimes I was finding a shortage of podcasts. Most of them are for adults. There's a good chunk of podcasts made for younger kids, but right. there's almost no podcast made specifically for middle or upper elementary school kids. Okay. Um, you know, yeah. it goes a little deeper into the content, but still is appropriate and, and has the right pacing. And 
Right. Yeah. One of the things, if you'll allow me to like nerd out a tiny bit, but yeah, you know, in it. ancient history, even when we talk about like the Homeric epics and like the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, centuries before they were written down, they were spoken orally and mm -hmm. oral yeah. communication is one of the most sophisticated ways that we can kind of get a, our ideas is, is telling stories. And I think for the kids, to understand like it doesn't just have to be something that you listen to to pass the time or right. to listen to an audiobook and follow along with the text like that has its place but i think there's something special to hearing the voice of a real person tell you information in the form of a story and mm -hmm. and it has a much more uh sticky way of really uh staying with the kids and and helping them really understand the content that i want them to understand yeah Man, that's such a good point. It adds like so many different layers to the information. You know, like like mm. one of the 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 horrible things about textbooks in general is just that they're almost designed to be as dry as possible. It's very matter of fact. It's very it's mm -hmm. it's layout is all like efficient delivery of information. <laughs> and I can see how you know I I like to listen like ninety nine pi is one of my favorites. The the production value of that show is just off the charts. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Uh, it's ninety nine. Mm, no, I haven't. No, really? Okay. 99% invisible. I'm going to plug them here because I just, I love that so much. The premise was that 99% of the design of our world and uh, the stories behind the things that we interact with every day is invisible to us. It's, it's mm. unknown to us. And so they explore, you know, just about anything and go deep, do a deep dive on it. Like, and, and, and it's just the most fascinating thing. Like they could do a deep dive on, on the origin of the traffic light and make it an extremely <laughs> engaging story. Uh, so, so it's not just like the human voice, but the production value, like the amount of thought that goes into a well-produced podcast yep. to make it that audio like narrative, it's so much higher in value than, than even the best, if we could even talk about them in that way, the best textbook or the best, you know, yep. visual, um, aid. So, yeah, like you said, like the textbook, you know, it feels like it has an agenda. It feels like it's right. trying to throw all the right number of facts at you that it's supposed to. Whereas, right. yeah. you know, this, the power of a podcast is it has to be a story. Like I, one of my favorites is uh, how I built this with Guy Raz. I, okay, I yeah. am such a junkie for those ones. Like I just love them. And you know, when the more you listen to them, they're not about the business. They're about the people telling right. their story and, yeah. and uh, the business was part of it. And I think for kids to understand, you know, um, in this way of communicating, you know, you, you have to be able to tell a story, um, but you can still, you know, share a lot of information that way as well, but it sticks with people in a, in an emotionally resonant way. I mean, what's more intimate than like, before you go to bed, if you're listening to a podcast, like it's, it feels like it's, you know, right in your head. Whereas, you know, the book is something external, watching a video, looking at your phone right. screen on Instagram or whatever, all that's external, but only podcasts feel like they have like a direct connection to your imagination. Yeah. They, they become the voice in, in your head mm. <laughs> for a little bit of time. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Ah, we could geek out so much. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> so we're just going to have to have like a two hour conversation at the after we'll, have, we'll do a post show. It, yeah. <laughs> or, or I'll just come up with another excuse to get you back on, on the show so we can, we can talk more. Um, I, love I, it. Yeah, I, have, yeah. I have a feeling that I'm going to feel this way because I felt this way the last person I interviewed as well. Um, and in episode one, I, I talked to one of my colleagues, Rachel, man, I, I, I just love teachers, man. I, I think, I think, <laughs> 
you know, I'm a little biased, Stephen, but I think we're some of the most thoughtful and interesting people on the planet. Um, I really do because because we have to be right to do this. Yeah. Um, we have to be kind of naturally curious. We have to love people. We have to be always thinking about how to best communicate. And there's just so much value locked up inside the hearts and minds of teachers that I'm just excited to give people more of a glimpse to. I'm hoping that we end up with listeners that aren't teachers um, too, mm. who, who begin to see the value that's existing in the schoolhouse down the road um, that they never really yeah. realized that they, that they, that they see this profession for what it is and, 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 and begin to appreciate it, the high amount of value. It's a privilege to have a job that requires so much of us because of who it shapes us in, into because of the very yeah i would say i have developed as a person as a result of my students yeah even more than they have from any experience in my class and i would add teachers are are so special in a couple of ways but i think one of the biggest is that we never take for granted the power any individual moment we have with a kid can have yeah. on them, what kind of right. impact. So if we think to our own experiences, whether it's middle school or whatever, we have that special teacher or test that we really aced or you know a project that we did a really fun job on or something like that, th those moments become so central to our being Right. And, yeah. you know, I think there's so much talk now about schools and, and kind of the, the influence schools have. And for those folks, I'd be like, where have you been? Like at no other point in our society do we have as much of an impact on the entire macro level of like human right. development in our in our civilization as we do in schools. Because right. we have almost all kids at this critical time in their personal psychological and, and academic development. And, and like I said, you know, the power of that one moment to like catch a kid, uh, and, and set them soaring, you know, on a subject that they're really into, or, you know, musical instrument that they really find exciting or whatever it is, but the stakes are so high. And yeah. I, I think yeah. teachers can never take that for granted. And I don't think teachers do. I think we're always well, in awe of the oh, inspiration I mean, power I we have. I, you're hitting like on a really, really close nerve. I think for so many of us, but one thing I've thought a lot about is how those who are not in the classroom, they don't realize what you're talking about. They really don't see education as a collection of these extremely powerful moments, which is what it is, right? Instead, they treat education as a theory or as an abstract concept that can be manipulated and played around with and experimented with. You know, and, and that's how they talk about it when they're doing policy or making decisions. And, and I just I keep I'm obsessed with reminding people that when you say the word education, you are not talking about an abstract concept. Mm -hmm. You can't treat it that way. It is an ongoing process of the formation of the next generation. It is yeah. not an abstract process. We are taught when you say, oh, we're going to cut the education budget or whatever. Mm -hmm. you, no, no. What you're saying is you're going to compromise the quality of the formation of a bunch of individual pe people's lives. That's what yep. you're saying. And you need to talk about it that way. We need to talk about it that way yep. because we don't, we abstract it. When we're making decisions, it makes it easier, right? It's a lot like when people are making decisions in war. They don't talk about deaths. They talk about casualties. They don't talk in terms of risk to people's individual families. They talk mm -hmm. about um, risk to the nation. They abstract it to distance themselves from the, the stakes of the, yep. the situation. And we've done that in education. And I think that that, 
ultimately is what's led to so many of the problems that we see happening again and again and again. Um, and teachers are in the best position to to hold, you know, uh, people accountable to the fact that no, 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 you cannot treat it that way. Um, that's not what it is. It's never going to be an abstraction because we're, we're talking about the formation of individual people's lives here. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You can't, you can't depersonalize something that is the most personal thing right. you can imagine. And it's, yeah. you know, how many times I'm sure you've heard teachers who say things like they're so exhausted, but in a way that a good night's sleep won't fix. Mm, and I think yeah, yeah. that kind of mental exhaustion and something that I've written about too is this concept of emotional labor. We have to be on all yeah. day with the kids in a way that requires, you know, thousands of decisions in a day. And we're we're orchestrating not only each individual kid's experience that they have in our classroom, but you know, the, the social dynamic that's happening in the classroom as well, that's kind of this thing separate from the individual kids that forms, you right. know, if it's a collaborative environment, if it's one that, you know, allows for risk taking, or on the other hand, if it's an area, an environment that allows for bullying or negative experiences of kids. And I think orchestrating that every second that you're in the room with kids, both the personal and individual and the social and the the community experience, I think. Oh yeah, takes, and then there's and then there's content. You know, there's <laughs> and then there, oh, and also you have to teach. Yeah, also yeah. you have to also your, you know, this the standardized test the kids have to pass as well. You make yeah. them good people, but also good people that you know get a, a proficient on the state exam. Yeah. Oh geez, yeah. Well, hey, that exact thing and this exact this is this is the kind. I'm hoping that that people that don't know teaching. Uh, hear this because you know I I just you know I, I've been pretty active on LinkedIn I know you are too um, mm -hmm. and I I just made a post like three days ago that continues to really I mean really go viral in a big way among teachers and the whole premise of the post was unless you're a teacher you don't understand what teachers do mm -hmm. and and that obviously hit a nerve um, but but this is what we mean when we say that this this is such a complex thing that we're doing it is not. Um, easy to understand it is not easy to do well I, I guess it's pretty easy to do it badly if if you really want to do it badly <laughs> I've um, had a couple of bad teachers but very yeah cool. but I think for the <laughs> most part um we need to give teachers the benefit of the doubt um yeah and and I think the other thing that's so emotionally exhausting about it um Stephen is that you know and you are hyper aware of the places that you are falling short Mm -hmm. um, and the places where you're not able to do what you wish you were able to do that you know would be good for your students yep. because you don't have the time or you don't have the energy and you want to give more and you can't and you live with that every mm -hmm. day, hoping that the mistakes that you make don't have a permanent impact in a negative way on your students because you, you're aware of those moments. You're aware of the power that, sure. that you have and, and it possibly could, right? One of the mistakes you make could end up being something that sends them on, on, down a bad path uh, mentally, emotionally, or even in life. And and that's a, yeah, yeah. Know, it's not an easy thing to, to walk with, yeah. No, no, and I, I also like, you know, there are very few jobs where it's not just what you do, it's who you are. Like teaching is so personality driven. Like when you right. think of a classroom yeah. where everything is working and the kids are all, you know, on board, they're they're buying in, you know, that kind of 
environment happens because of the personality of the teacher. You can't manufacture that with an app. And I think when we put so much of ourselves into the job, and for many of us, the job is who we are. It's easy for people out. I always say like teachers and professional sports players are jobs where people outside looking in feel like they can do a better job. And I guarantee they cannot. Yeah, right. You know, it, it has to come from within and it also has to be something that is, yeah, deeply rooted to who you are and what motivates you personally. It can't be something that you do by day to, you know, make a paycheck and then go home yeah. and, and yeah. you know, forget about it. it. You know, how many of us have stayed up late thinking about that one kid who just can't seem to get, you know, mm-hmm. past fractions or that other kid whose meeting you sat in and the parent is talking about, you know, um, they're starting the process of a divorce and they're really worried or the kid who's, you know, beloved pet, you know, is sick or, you know, that kind of thing. It sticks with you in a way that I think, you know, folks who kind of go to jobs in the office or can do a nine to five can kind of shut that off. But for us, it, you know, it stays and it's cumulative. It stays right. with us and it's yeah. cumulative. Yeah. Well, man, I, I really enjoy going off script with you. Obviously, um, this is it's so good, so rich, so valuable. I don't I don't feel like like I, I God bless my audio engineer um, because <laughs> he's going to be like, do you want me to? And I'll be like, no, don't cut anything. Nothing. Don't do <laughs> don't touch any of it. It's so good. Um, <laughs> so hopefully people don't mind long form. And I don't think they will, because they, because, you know, this is like you said, this is narrative. This is people. This is individual. Mm. Um, I think people are going to get lost in our conversation just just as much as we are. But that to say, let's let's go ahead and hit this final point here, and that is a um, a best teaching strategy. So this is something that you use in your actual like delivery of content or in the way that you you um, teach your subject. That is just something you keep coming back to again and again, and mm-hmm. and is is really a key practice that you you think would be useful for other teachers to know about. You know, basically you. Again, you wouldn't teach without doing this. Yeah, yeah. And once again, my middle school people will appreciate the repetition because that's part of our job too. Like, you know, one big strategy, it it seems intuitive, but I purposefully make sure I say things explicitly, even things that, you know, you might take for granted or think, oh, the kids should just know that, you know, they should just know to put their name at the top or, you know, they should just know that if they can't read their own handwriting, then taking notes is not going to help. And, uh, you know, along those lines, because I teach ancient history, it can be quite content deep, which I love and, and hopefully, you know, make it exciting for the kids to learn about ancient history. But I always make sure when I feel like I'm going deep to either begin or end the class with friends. If you come away from this class with one big idea, here's what it is. You know, for example, you know, if you come away with one thing of all the things we talked about ancient gladiators, it's that the ancient Romans had a violent kind of social activity to replace, Mm. you know, the militarism of their, of their conquering other people. Or if you take away one thing from the Egyptian pyramids, it's the scale at which an entire civilization is mobilized just for the afterlife of their one king. Mm-hmm. And I find that if you can give them that specific big idea, if you can answer the question that you know they're thinking, what do I need to know? Right. Um, yeah. 
then I think that is so powerful because, you know, the details and the facts can always be looked up in a book or, you know, you teach them about reliable sources. But I think if you give them what is the one lead explicitly that I want you to take away from this, I think, and you repeat it because of course in middle school that we need a lot of repeating, we need repeating back. um, So do you usually say that at the, at the end of a lesson at the beginning or at the beginning, the middle? I usually do both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll usually do both because, uh, you know, our classes were normally like 45, 50 minutes. And so I'll start kind of by saying this is kind of the overview of what we're going to do. But I always make sure to leave a few minutes at the end to be like, all right, here's the main idea that we just talked about. And I'll see, right. you know, a lot of kids write it down, which also is a good strategy. And, and I'm not afraid to like start the next class by repeating the thing from the last class. You're giving them an anchor point. That, yep. that they can that they can tie all that other stuff too. Like, how is this? Yeah, and literally, their their frontal lobes are still being formed. Like, <laughs> yeah. they need a lot of repetition. You know, they yeah. have difficulty with impulse control and executive functioning. So, you have to give them these guideposts because biologically, they need those supports as their brain is being formed. And this is a little bit off, but like, I, I think my middle school people know, like. Middle school is a time, aside from infancy, when you have the most growth in your Mm -hmm. brain. We can't ignore that. That's really a thing that's happening. And so, um, yeah, working that science into the way we teach is really important and powerful. You know, I'd also be really interested to know if there have been studies done that that show that because of that brain formation that's happening in these years, whether or not they, they tend to retain the information they learn during middle school longer I, I i don't know or if it becomes mm. more of who more of who they they are like have there been studies done when when, when people think back to school what are the years they most like rem- I, I wonder mm-hmm. if it's middle school because of that the biological process and and i wonder how those things are connected so now i'm really curious about that <laughs> um, no I, I think for sure i know that like short-term memory is still being formed so yeah. you'll have to repeat you know to middle schoolers a lot of different times the same thing. And for grownups, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to tell you again to like not leave your locker door with the coat spilling out onto the floor. But for them, they benefit from that repeating because their brain is not holding on to it. But I think one of the things that I would really put as, as a marker for people when they're, like you said, when they're thinking to your own experience is the connection between emotion, how are you feeling? Right. And the story and the social, like, how are you feeling about the people you are with? Much more than kind of the content or the academics or the intellectual part of that. It's more about, like you said, the, how am I going to make you feel about teaching, about learning history? Is it boring right. or is it, yeah. you know, fun? And I think that pervades all parts of kind of the middle school existence. Yeah. And I, I love the way that you summarized your main ideas from from history. Like, I'd love to just see a list of of those because I feel like, you you drew out, and I'm sure this was your goal. You drew out how how they could take this stuff that seems so distant and far, and and then you know see oh is there any way in which we organize our societies that that is is similar to that? Are we actually not mm-hmm. so different from the ancient Egyptians as as we like to think? That's really really key, you know, especially in that one point that you give them, showing them how what you're teaching them is is relevant and impactful to their world today. Um, yeah, a lot of kids, you know, their biggest complaint with content is like, what does this have to do with yeah. me? How is this connected to to anything? And that one point could be a really good practice for us to be like, okay, we have to think about that. 
um, <laughs> because we get so you know nerdy about the content sometimes that we don't really care yep. if it's relevant to them. Yeah. But that's really, really important for, for the kids in our class. So to take it on a huge wide lens, like you are speaking yeah. my language, like I'm a humanities person. I, you know, right. study ancient history and and I think you you put your finger right on it. Like you have to tell them why are we learning this? Like of all the things we're learning, like why does it matter? And you know, the short answer is we're studying this because by studying them, we understand ourselves better. Studying right. the humanities is the study of the human existence. And it just so happens like we're humans existing. And so it can't help but give us a greater insight onto our own personal, social, and community experiences by studying and getting the skills to study, you know, the, the ancient past. And also those people in the ancient past who seem so far away from us, like they live, they live full yeah. lives. They, yeah. you know, yeah. learned and grew and felt the same emotions that we do. And their lives mattered back then. And that is enough of a reason for us to study them. But um, yeah, it, it makes us better humans to understand how humans work. Well, and to practice empathy with people that are so mm -hmm. distant and different than us, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, mm. obviously I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. I think you have too. This has been wonderful, Stephen. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Last thing, just, hey, if I know you said you were writing some. Uh, I know you're present online. Um, I know you got some other projects and, and you're not quite landed yet on what's going to be the next step now that you're you're out of the classroom. But um, anything you, you want to plug, where can people find you? Where can they read more of you? Where can they learn from you? Where can they reach out to you? Anything else you want to say in parting before we go? Yeah. Well, first of all, just thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. It's really fun and exciting for me to engage in these kind of conversations, especially now that I have left the classroom for new challenges. I would say the best place to find me is on LinkedIn and you can just look up Stephen Anthony Guerrero and uh, Stephen with a PH. That's where I do a lot of my writing. I'm also doing some freelancing. So, you know, people are welcome to reach out to me, but I would say I'm just happy to kind of talk about the profession, the job, life of a teacher, stuff like that. I'll also say, especially to my colleagues in states here in the United States that seem to have more of a microscope on them in the classroom to hold fast and know in your heart the noise that's outside of your classroom doesn't have to come in unless you let it. And so mm, yeah, be strong yeah. and be assured in who you are and what you're doing and what you mean for these kids. And the rest of it will just be noise. That's that's so, that's so good, man. Thank you so much again. Um, we will be, uh, for those of you that are listening, we will be taking all the resources and from the conversation today, we'll be putting links to them in the show notes. Um, we'll include links to where you can find Steven and reach out to him, uh, and all the tools and tips that we mentioned. If there's anything that we can uh, link you to, we're going to try to make that easy for you. You're not going to make it hunted down. This, uh, audio recording is also a video recording. Uh, we'll have it up on YouTube. We'll make blog posts of each of the points. So we're going to try to make this as valuable as possible for you, our listeners. Most of you are teachers and we appreciate you so much. Uh, Stephen, thank you again for coming on the show and thank you listeners for being with us. Uh, throughout our ramblings and ravings. Hopefully you found them just as valuable as we did. And remember, we do this because teachers, teachers are the best. All right, we'll see you on the next show. Thanks so much, Stephen. Thank you.
Hey there, thanks for sticking around till the end. You'll find links to all of the resources mentioned in today's show in the show notes, including contact info for our guests. If you or someone you know is a teacher and would like to be a guest on our show, or if you have any comments or suggestions for us, we love that. You can send us a message at bestteacherpod at gmail.com. That's bestteacherpod at gmail.com. If you like today's show, make sure to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you are listening to this and recommend the show to any other teachers in your life. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Best Teacher Podcast, because teachers are the best.